right already. I'm recording <laughs> on both of them now. All right already. I'm pouring a cup of coffee now. All right already. We're finally done with Philiversary. Oh. Right, already. <laughs> Welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast. <laughs> no, not a joke. Yeah, not a joke. We are actually done with. <sighs> Modest Mouse wish they could. They wish they could. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would. I don't even know what that means. What's up, Phil? Welcome to the Pod Charles yeah. Cinecast, presented by yeah. Prince Charles Cinema Breadcrumbs Collectors. This is your host Jonathan Foster. I'm here today with my. Serpico boy. Here we go. We're not even talking about that movie, but look, you know, I came dressed up and everything. You know what's up. I'm kind of wearing what he wears in Dog Day a little bit yeah. by the end. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know we said this on the podcast, like I think either on Patreon or maybe it was on the main timeline. But it's still funny that time we were like going to that wrestling show and a bunch of people from the cinema like happened to be meeting up with us like before we went to the show, mm. and you came walking up kind of late. And you had like your fucking long coat on and your like the beanie, beanie on. And they were just all, look at this Serpico looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thing, man. I haven't yeah. got it in a while, to be honest. Um, but yeah, for a long time, I would get it. Not I remember doing that one at the cinema. You know, if you've, if you've been to the cinema on Halloween, you know, sometimes mm. the staff would like to dress up as well for the occasion. And one time I would work in Halloween. And I just came dressed as myself and said I was Serpico. And it t- and people were like, oh shit, that's really good. And I was like, yeah, yeah, nailed it. I put yeah. in so much effort. It, it's good to have that in the back, in the bag, yeah. in the back pocket, just whip it out. I think I did that my first Halloween where like I basically just like wore my normal street clothes with like a, I had this like uh, Superman shirt, but like instead of like the Superman S, it had like this like classic sort of Scottish flag so it was like the Scottish Superman shirt and, um, not not the blue and white but like that sort of like crest the Scottish yeah, crest yeah, yeah. you know I just had my black horn rim glasses and my hair was shorter then and I just popped like a fucking fedora on and I was like that fucking Clark Kent here we go bro alright pal just walking around like Scottish Clark Kent just like this is a this is a job for Superman that's bad that's a bad Scottish accent this is a job for Superman alright pal alright pal Glasgow I'm from Glasgow alright we we do this sometimes when we start yeah, we start episode just with really bad accents, and I would imagine just like that's enough. Like just a whole bunch of people just like turning out. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You know I up to here with these guys. Yeah, they yeah. pushed me over the limit. <laughs> yeah, dude, we started here, and uh, we can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm all right. I'm yeah. preparing. I'm leaving again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, bailing, yeah. but we're prepared this time. Yeah, we're prepared. recording. We recorded. A, we're currently recording a bunch in advance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm about to go to hell on earth, apparently. So. What's happening over there now? In New York. Have you yeah. seen what New York looks like right now? No. Just type in New York Air. I saw, like, was it California? Canada. Oh, that shit was over on the East Coast in Canada? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, all right. I thought that was on the West Coast, because that shit always happens over there. Yeah, Wild. Man. Wild times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild You're going time. into... Uh, fucking Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> literally see. dude that's cool yeah 
Uh, that'll be fun. Only downside of recording in advance, speaking of the cinema. The last episode we did, I think people really like, but I don't know that yet because we hadn't been released yet. Yeah. But I'm sure you'll love it. Your kids are going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. I hope people enjoyed it. Um, speaking in the future. Uh, yeah. Because we were doing something that we used to do, you know, going to the cinema and talking to someone who actually works there and stuff. You know, the original idea of this podcast, talking to people who work there, besides us just yapping about stupid movies and losing our minds during the COVID pandemic and all sorts of stupid stuff and to a point mm. where we just couldn't be bothered anymore and that's all we ever <laughs> wanted to do is just, you know... Talk shit on over the internet. Yeah. Uh, it's easier, guys. Come on. I mean, it seems like people like that too, so hopefully they do. Uh, hopefully they like, the they like both. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to dip into the cinema sometime in the future when we can and stuff, but, you know... We just like, hit an upgrade, dude, as well. You got... Kate Hudson and I've got new internet that yeah. shouldn't drop. Yes, we are operating I mean, at full, you know, full capacity. capacity. Yeah, they. I mean, usually end up having to cut that stuff out, so they might not even know how annoying it's been to record over the last few months. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be all good. We're clear. You're smooth. You're not freezing on me. Yeah, I've got a big old tower in the corner of my room. I got that fiber. Yes, fiber. Death. Fiber? Get Don't even fiber. get me started. Don't even get them started. Well, Phil, we finished yes. our little fire in the projection booth arc that was embedded we within did. our little filiversary season, you know, just to remind you, yeah. you're turning 30 this year, yeah. uh, which, you know, quite frankly, was holding us hostage for the better part of the year. And, uh, you know, it's finally- It just wouldn't end. It wouldn't it's fucking end. Plus the other shit we got going on Patreon, which is nonstop. Yeah. Finally putting it to bed, though. Just tucking it in. For now. (laughs) (laughs) And now, Phil, we embark on a new venture, you know? Because I I don't know about you, though. Uh, You know, because I've been feeling kind of down and out. And I'm feeling like, you know, no one really cares if I live or I die. I feel like I want (laughs) to put some action in my life. Uh Breaking the law. Breaking the law. (laughs) Do do Yes, it's the new arc where we're going to go well into the summer talking about some of my favorite films and my favorite film genre. It's a crime and it's going to be layered because it's not going to only be like crime movies, you know, the traditional like, you know, crime baddie movie. It's going to be like, you know, all sorts of shit going on because we got like, you know, criminals, obviously. But then what happens? What happens when criminals break the law, Phil, and they get arrested? Well, they have to go to court. 
they go to court. So we're going to have some courtroom films. And hey, what if those criminals get convicted and they go to prison? Hmm. What if they don't like it in there? Maybe they want to... Maybe we're going to have to talk about some prison movies. Yep. It's uh, breaking the law, breaking the law. It's a, uh, you know, three part, whole three part new arc that's going to last like throughout this whole entire summer. Crime movies, courtroom dramas, prison movies. It's going to be awesome. Uh, And first up, first up, the secret ingredient is crime. That's how we get started. We got to break the law. We got to commit that crime in order to get to the next two steps. So, Phil, what film are we going to kick our crime wave off? We're just, we're starting hot. It's a hot day in a dog day afternoon. Mm. Summer's here, baby. (laughs) You know something, people? You're going to be remembered the rest of your lives for the day you got held up and kidnapped. At approximately 3 p.m., on August 22, 1972, Sonny Wurzik and Sal Naturali entered the first Brooklyn savings bank and attempted a robbery. My priest! Nobody move! The attempt failed. There's no money here. The police arrived. For the people of the neighborhood, it was a sideshow. Sonny! Sonny! But for Sonny and Sal, the hostages and the cops, it was a dog day afternoon. It's all a whim. Rob a bank. I had a plan. I had it planned. But you keep away from this bank or we're going to start throwing bodies out the front door one at a time. All right, who, who has to go to the bathroom here? I do. The most you're going to get is five years. You get out in one year, huh? Kiss me. They're going to give us anything we want. Get some food in here, some pizzas, all right? What I owe you for this? It's all paid for. No, I got it, I got it. Hello, Sonny. You're on the air. We're entertainment, right? What do you, what do you, what do you got for us? Panica! I ain't going back to that prison, Sonny. I'm here with my partner and nine other people. See, we're dying. Don't, don't, son! Run. 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 Where am I going to run? Algeria. Algeria? Yeah, they got to have a Johnson's there, so I'm going. Al Pacino. Dog Day Afternoon. A true story. When inexperienced criminal Sonny Wardsick, played by Al Pacino, leads a bank robbery in Brooklyn, Things go wrong quickly, and a hostage situation develops. As Sonny and his accomplice, Sal, played by John Cazale, R.I.P., try desperately to remain in control, a media circus develops and the FBI arrives, creating even more tension. Gradually, Sonny's surprising motivations behind the robbery are revealed, and his standoff with law enforcement moves towards its inevitable end. It's the 1975 biographical crime drama from the legendary director, Sidney Lumet. Phil, before we get to hot takes out the gate, because I know it's about to happen, it's about to be some hot stuff out my oven. Snack time! There's something about that look you gave to me. I know you could only need one thing. It's snack time. In the morning. It's snack time. In the evening. It's snack time. It's snack time. 
But you're yeah. the, you're I would obviously time sensitive. So time sensitive. Actually, yeah, I forgot one for like one more thing for it. Oh. You know, you know <laughs> this you motherfucker. Know you know what it is. Ah, <laughs> oh. is it a drink? Is it a dip? Who knows? You know what it is. You know, you what, know it what it is. Everything I do, I do it big. <laughs> you 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 know what time it is. <laughs> we're sitting here. We're is? talking about. Dog day afternoon, man. The dogs and, uh, are out. Who let the dogs out? Am I who right? Let the dogs out. I know, man. And uh, what you got? Kitty cats just chill oh, here. All no. cute, like. Oh. Oh. Sorry, Steve. Go back. Oh, it's here. been a while. Yeah, she's just hanging out next to me, and I just ruined it. <laughs> she, right, she's um, like New York, New York, yay! She's like I'm done with the '93 shit. Bill, we're in fucking New York, right? We're we're, we're in uh, New York. We're in Brooklyn. We held a bank hostage, right? Because shit yeah. went wrong, yeah. and uh, you know we gotta we gotta like feed our hostages, you know, and we gotta we gotta ask for things. We gotta ask for demands, you know, like and one of the demands we might ask for is a little bit of food and uh, a little bit of food and what kind of food? My boy, we're we're in New York City, and uh, my boy in this film, he got his cokes. So I got a little from, you know, you know what it is. DCC. Oh, you got one too. Oh boy. Oh boy. We eating it together. Boom. Coke brother. And, uh, I got Ooh, one of these. Hope I don't get into diabetic shock. Good fellas. <laughs> Cheesy pizzas. Whatever the fuck. Motherfucker. I should have got Tiny, like baby pizzas, which I've never mm. had one of these before. I th- I've had the little Chicago, like the deep dish yeah. one. I've had, I've had the Chicago ones, town ones, and I thought about Chicago getting one of those, but I was like, man, it's Chicago town. Yeah, this ain't Chicago. Goodfellas rings a little bit more New York y. Goodfellas? You know, New they York didn't have anything. It was like New York pizza. New York I don't know why. pizza. Take a bite. All right, let's try it. Oh, we had a bit of string pull. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's cheesy. You know what? <laughs> it tastes sort of like just a notch above school pizza. <laughs> oh yeah, good fellas is all right. Like frozen pizza, not the worst, not mm. the best, but the yeah, they're very cheap. You know, I'm not a meat eater, so I usually get the cheese ones, and they're very fucking cheesy. Yeah, it's like they had a fucking you know, yeah, they they run didn't on skimp out on the cheese, which is mm. I, I appreciate. I like it. It's weird. Those little ones you can't eat in slices. You have to eat like a big old pie. That's weird. Mm. Not right. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm just like huge eating a whole pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Under the laughs> giant. giant. Wow. Oh, do, do. Okay. Oh, this how many twenty four inch pizza? <laughs> how many um, how many phone calls are you gonna give it? Um this movie nothing but fucking people on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sixteen minute uninterrupted phone calls. Yeah. Um, that's not even a joke. Uh, 
you know what? It's pizza, man. It's you can't all right. go wrong with pizza. Yeah, it's all right. I'll give it. It's funny because I'm like I'm like you know wanting to say three, but part of me is like, but it's pizza. It's like four, right? It's got to be four. But no, nah, it's all the way to four. It's like a three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half. It's cool. It's like because it's pizza, it gets the extra point five. You know, it's just pizza's great. Yeah. But the phone dropped uh, halfway through that fourth one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like right. it's 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 like you know. The school pizza, even though it was dog shit, it was still a great day at school, <laughs> it right? It was great. Yeah, you of know? course. So, like, we're giving it at least two if it's a school pizza. And this is just yeah. a notch above, so three. <laughs> three. And then a half then- because it's a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave it two because it's a pizza and then I gave it another point because it's a pizza and then I just give it an extra half because it's also a pizza, you know? <laughs> five out of just five. Just give it the five diet. and let's leave. Diet, the, the Diet Coke, add it to it, the DCC, caffeine free. Look good. I went a different way with my snack because I was like, they get a bunch of pizza I was like, I bet John's going to get pizza. And I was like, I don't want a pizza, but I was like, I'll get a pizza flavor. Because I've done pizza before. Yeah. I feel like I did pizza back-to-back the other day or a few weeks ago. So I was like, I'll look for something pizza flavored. I couldn't find any. But, you know, at the end of the movie, they think, you know, spoilers. We're jumping <laughs> way ahead. It's you right. know, they they get to the jet and the opportunity like, you know, priorities. Like, oh, shit. I forgot, you know what now? I forgot, I forgot to check if they got food on board. Hey, are you going to have food on board? It's like, yeah, yeah, we got some hamburgers on, on, on board. It's like, good, because I haven't eaten all day. Because, you know, bank robbery and stuff. So I don't well, have hamburgers. Pizza, so. I'm, and I'm just realizing now, I may have already done this. But I have hamburger flavored, more specifically a flame grilled Whopper flavored. Doritos. Doritos. Ooh, you know what? I don't tried think you've, yet. you've ever done those. I, 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 I haven't tried them either. And it's ironic because I had the pizza Dorito that you can get like a few yeah. days ago, but I ate them all. So <laughs> I forgot. I only watched the movie this morning. So yep. I forgot pizza were a thing. I thought you said peaches at first. I was like, peaches and Coke. <laughs> can I do that at the same time? That'd be weird. Um, but yeah, these are fairly new. Might have seen them in your local Burger King. I like a good Whopper from Burger King. The veggie Whopper is pretty good. Pretty good, so eh? Let, let's see if this, if um, this you know, matches the flavor. I don't usually like burger fla- meat flavored crisp because they all kind of taste the same. But let's give it a go. I've tried this before, but I'm you know, for the listener experience, I'm pretending this is my first time. <laughs> <laughs> How are they? <laughs> They're pretty good, actually. They are surprisingly good. The only thing... Because the taste of a Whopper is not really the patty. It's the toppings. The yeah. onion and pickles and tomatoes and the sauce. That's the shit. And they do that well. But they're very... You ever get a bag of crisps and you're like... Bro, what is this seasoning? That's just a plain chip. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's just like that. It's always very light on the seasoning for some reason. So it's like every other one is really good. Yeah. But some are just sort of, yeah, it's good. It doesn't touch the classic Doritos 
yeah flavored but like drop that hits you know it hits the spot you know burger not included that's, that's <laughs> funny it does that's that, funny because yeah. some people will be stupid you know what here we go the deal on this isn't actually very good. So this is part of a cross promotion, obviously, with Doritos and Burger King. I don't know if they're owned by the same company. They might be. Might all be Coca-Cola. Um, but the deal is, you when you get a pack of these, you can get a free Whopper meal. But that's only, you can only get the free Whopper meal if you buy a Whopper meal first. So, like, how much money am I really saving? I have to buy a pack of Doritos and then buy a pack a Whopper meal, and then I'll get another Whopper. But if I'm going by myself, I've already got the Whopper meal. I've had to buy it. So you just you can gift someone essentially a Whopper meal. It's too yeah. It's too. It's no good. It's no good. Yeah. Just give me a fucking Whopper meal, man. Also, I have it on high authority that uh, Frito Lay owns Doritos, and uh, Frito Lay is owned by Pepsi, not Coca Cola, bro. Well, thank you for you educating know. me. The more, the more you, you know. know. Um, the more you know. <laughs> How many bullets to the head are you giving it? Spoilers. No oh, fucking hell, man. Spoilers. You know what? It's pretty good. The Coke. <laughs> it's not It's not so good. I should have refrigerated it, though. It's a bit tempered now. I'm going to match you. Three and a half. Three and a half. Not bad. Three and a half. Three and a half shots to I'm, that. I'm sitting here thinking that, like, Whatever you know, fuck that mean. the uh, Burger King like, boo, boo. <laughs> Whopper flavored Doritos might be a little bit more socially acceptable for our young friend Dave and Asino Man. If he had that bag, it probably wouldn't have like left such like nasty yeah, the, crumbs on his face. Exactly. Then he yeah. would have got the girl in the end. Robin, yeah. fucking idiot. Although, fucking did he get her in the end? It felt like he kind of did. They danced at the end. Yeah, it's a nightly movie. Like of course, the nerd gets the girl in yeah. the end because Link gets his own cave girl. Fucking and Paulie Shaw is like asexual in that movie. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's Pride Month, you know. Uh, <laughs> that you know what we are doing this film, you know, Cindy Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon. We we originally had this slotted in to be our fourth film of our crime season or crime wave of the breaking the law season. And uh, yeah, I was sitting there looking at it and I was just like, you know what? Well, this episode's going to come out in June. It's pride mm-hmm. month. We don't really yeah. have a pride episode. And this is the closest sort of like queer adjacent film for sure, man in the season. No, that's a big part of the movie. Yeah. Which we'll get into like whether or not that was like legitimate or not. Um, in terms of the reasonings for committing said crime. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, some people doubt it. Yeah. There's some doubt there. But, there's you know, doubt. it's it's an interesting film for 1975, you know, for this uh, big time actor like Al Pacino playing a queer character, even if it's like as subtle as possible, you know, mm-hmm. and really dialed back. Because um, I guess they weren't really trying to make it such a spectacle. But, yeah, but that makes it more powerful sort of in the long run. Yeah. Because it's not, it doesn't end up being a sort of stereotypical or caricature like looking, look at it. it. It's weird. My first ever stage manager shift was, and I don't do that anymore, retired. Thank God. <laughs> but the first one I ever did was 
a screening of Dog Day Afternoon presented by Unicorn Night, which Ralph oh, used to do at the cinema. He still okay, does, cool. At the yeah. cinema. And there was a discussion about it afterwards, which was really fucking interesting. And it, yeah. you know, I was already very familiar with the film, but like, it's something I didn't really uh, appreciate as much until that screening. So, yeah. Nothing new. Like, it's funny, I would have been working at the cinema, would have been heavily involved in helping Ralph put those films on sale or whatever, you know, and promoting and stuff online. But like, I uh, don't remember that at all. I don't remember him doing <laughs> Dark Day It didn't happen. Yeah. It was a one-off. It was up dead, I remember. Yeah. It makes me feel a little bit better that he was uh, pulling that out for a, uh, you know, an interesting uh, queer film for his strand. Definitely. Uh, because, yeah, because, yeah, well, I mean that as in, uh, it makes me feel better for, you know, deciding to pull this up to highlight it as part of Pride Month, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because like, we laugh a little bit about like the way companies and shit do like pride related shit. But, gay you know, sandwiches, gay coffee. It's still, yeah. It's still pride month, man. It's still yeah, cool. Yeah, it anybody's doing it and they're still like, you know, you know, it's highlighting stuff. And if it pisses off a bigot, then fair enough. Fuck them. Um, yeah, so, like, job well done. Yeah. Job well done. So yeah, I'm uh, all for it. And uh, yeah, we, we're doing this in honor of pride month. So, uh, you know, just look out for all your queer brothers and sisters and peeps out there and uh, take that care of them is. and tell them you love them and like, you know, have their back and shit. You know, that's all, you, that's all you got to do is just like fucking support them, man. That's mm. all you got to do, <laughs> you know? And if you're queer, just fucking exist and be proud. You know, that's all you got to do. This, this film, like, I, I guess shit, I'm kind of talking. I'll just go first. Go, I, never go, I never go first. Um, you know what? This is the first time I've seen this film. No fucking way! Yeah, is dude. It the first time you've seen it's it. weird. I it's one of Whoa. these that I've really wanted. That's to usually watch me <laughs> for a long time. Uh, so I was really happy to put it into the list here um, for this because we could have put it like so many different films, and we do have a great like 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 we've been saying it's a three part uh, arc where it's split up between three genres overall larger crime season. Uh, and the first three crime, oh, sorry, the first part is four crime films, and we've got a really awesome list of films, you know, including Dog Day Afternoon. Um, but yeah, like I was really excited to put this in because I hadn't seen it before. And I was, uh, you know, I don't know, Sidney Lumet's like filmography, like I've seen a few of his films. And uh, funny enough, we are going to end up doing another one in this season as well. Yeah, <laughs> which I didn't I lo- even really I love, think about. Yeah, I love the needle amount. I'm yeah. glad you get some uh, yeah. love on the show. But like, yeah, it's a bit of it's funny. Like I, I've seen Serpico and shit, and like I've, I think there's a few others I've seen. But like for the most part, his filmography is kind of like a dark space in my uh, in my watching. So yeah, um, mm. it's funny that I hadn't seen this yet. But I man, it was great. It was a great watch. It was like you know, it's just Damn, a right. fun, yeah. a fun film. Cause it starts off like kind of funny, you know, this it's a bit bumbling <laughs> and uh, you know, and you feel it, you're in there and then you can feel like it, like being getting tenser and tenser as it goes along. And it's full of just like amazing performances. Like, you know, just Pacino, like strangely looking younger than he's ever looked in any movie somehow. <laughs> I, guess, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what it is. But also looking like he's like a member of the Rolling Stones, which is hilarious. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and then I, I I don't know. Obviously, I knew all the bits of kind of like I, I knew the wider story of this film. So nothing really like was surprising about it because I kind of knew about the movie. 
Uh, and also I knew obviously the meme of Attica, Attica, Attica. Like, you know, yeah. like, you know, that, that's obviously just a quote, like a huge quote mm. from this film. But, um, but overall it was nice to see Cause like Pacino is like great in it. He's like, gives such a like good performance of this person. who's just being like, you know, trying his hardest to like make this robbery happen and get away. But just like, is, is, just in over his head and slowly realizing that as you know, the seconds tick on and it's like a long, it's not even that long of a movie. It's about two hours, but you're like, you feel it. You're in there. It feels really realistic and everything. And like, you're just right there in there with them. There's like no score. It's just like, it's, it just feels as hot as it is probably in that film. You feel that sweating and uh, you know, the heat there and fucking John Cazale just being like, this weird oh, fucking silent hell. freak in the back. Like, what is this deal? It's great. But I love all the, like, the women in the film as well. Like, all the hostages are hilarious. This good. sort of almost getting this Stockholm Syndrome vibe going on. Or, or at the very least, like, you know, just, you know, seeing them as kind of these guys who are trying their best. And I don't know, just trying not to fucking die themselves. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, it, it, there's a lot of beats that you feel like, they definitely lift it for that, like gang. The gang gets held hostage episode, um, especially <laughs> when it sure. comes to like how hot it is in there when they turn the AC off. Yeah, like yeah. It, it just feels like that. Like the you know, always sunny guys were definitely riffing on that a bit. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, it's fucking great film. Like it's just like Sydney Lumet's like like every film I've seen. It's just like it's always just a great time and just like. Mm-hmm you know, well fucking made just looks mm. awesome. And just like feels, I don't know. It's a great one to start with. Cause it's like, it is a fucking heist movie and, you and know, you love heist movies. Yeah. Fucking love it. So yeah, I don't know. I was going to ask like, what is it about these? Like, why, why is this my favorite? I'm trying to figure out as we go by, but like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, if it's like the fact that one, it's, it's something they're doing something that I would never do. You know, breaking mm-hmm. the law is like something I like, especially to law. that degree would never, I would never like, I would never do it, but it's nice to kind of like see someone doing it and you're kind of like getting to live through them. And it's sometimes it's like a lesson against it because you're like, dude, this is never going to go right. Like there's no yeah, way also you're watching it right. and you're like, oh, you don't do that. And like, oh, I would have done <laughs> yeah. this. And you're like, oh yeah. shit. Like you put, you yeah. really put yourself in that position. And yeah. Pacino for the most part, does everything right. You get no fucking close, dude. Yeah, 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 so yeah, 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 yeah. So close. And it's just, yeah. God, just right at the end. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Lenny Lamette. I would, I'd know, I would really recommend one of my favorite books I've ever read on filmmaking in uh, Lenny Lamette's book. I think it's just called On Directing. Really great. Like, he's just got a, a really interesting way of talking about his movies in a really like relatable and humble way. Like he never talked about it. And if this is the way to do it, this is just like, this is how I do it. It doesn't work for everybody. And this is just how we got here, how we got there. And it's just, it's really interesting. I would really recommend it. Yeah. And for dog day afternoon, I mean, I've got damn, I love dog day afternoon. Yeah. I, you know, I'm very like, it's one of my favorite movies. I think it's one of the just, one of the greatest films ever made, I think. Just like as a genre piece, but just also like as a one of those like new wave seventies movies. Like everything about it just fucking hits. Not only it's timeless, it like totally works. It's like lightning in a bottle. It's everything about it from like how it's made to the like, you know, the sort of 
free-flowing camera, like capturing all the sort of manic energy, the, you know, the, like from the crowd and on the street to the cops and the, it's just so fucking intense for like so much of it. It's just like proper boilerplate. It just like keeps building and building the tension and no score. Like you said, it's such a choice. Like yeah. everything, yeah, yeah. Not every, every creative choice is to make it as realistic and natural and possible. And it's fucking visceral experience because of that. It's such, it's a movie that kind of grips you and just, refusing to let go and then you can't help but sort of really endear yourself to the characters and their backstory and what they're going through and like Pacino just at his best just manic intense fucking best and lovable like in, insanely like you just you you want the best for everybody involved even though they're fucking unhinged and they're kind of crazy and probably shouldn't they def- definitely shouldn't be doing what they're doing yeah, nice, like, hidden, sort of, well, very subtle, restrained performance from John Canale, who we've talked about, we picked up on the Godfather episode. Yeah, definitely. You know, d- didn't do that many movies, but was obviously a very accomplished, amazing actor, and he's incredible in this, and he's very, sort of, you don't get much of him, but I think that's about right for what you do get. He, he, he let, you, don't, you don't know where you're going to stand with him. It's just fucking great. It's so... I wouldn't describe it as fun, but like it's got enough like of that dark sense of humor. There's a lot of bits that are like really funny, yeah, intentionally yeah, yeah. and sort of not intentionally. Yeah, and like I think still has aged quite well. Again, we're talking in terms of its queer themes. Um, I mean, not all of it, but obviously a lot of the language at the time is not great. But they sort of always see the other side of it. It's always you know you get people fucking getting angry at that shit but then also people supporting it and then sort yeah. of and yeah and Pacino sort of they never I appreciate never like a moment where he was like no I'm not that you know I'm actually this or whatever they like really embraced that part of the story um, and did it unapologetically and that must have been kind of daring at the time in the mid 70s um but yeah, no, it's just and it's fucking incredible. So obviously, I know they took a lot of liberties with the story, um, but it's incredible to watch. And like you're right, it's not a long movie; it's two hours. But like it, it follows. I forget how long. It's like twelve hours the whole heist, or, or maybe fourteen. Was, I think fourteen yeah. hours. Sorry, but it almost feels like it's playing out in real time. Yeah, like it just never sort of stopped. And when it does, to like you need it and then you you're, you're getting more character and story in those moments and then there's just incredible sequences and it's also like you know if you wanted to try it you know then good there's good lessons to be learned in it. We, <laughs> yeah. should, we should watch all of the bank heist movies and just see let's try and plot the perfect yeah bank what's heist. the perfect bank heist? yeah yeah but you couldn't I mean, do any of it now this this guy like knew himself. all the uh the the tricks of being a bank teller and stuff because he was a former teller himself which he was yeah. in real life the actual there you go and he was a former guy. veteran like us yeah so. yeah former so veteran we, you know, just we, because, yeah, yeah we you know, know we were we in can, the army we can shit. relate uh, you know? no dog day is, is amazing and it was a very influential movie on me growing up especially during uni I, I remember writing one of the only things I got made at uni that I wrote was a bank heist movie, a short comedy. <laughs> and it was just a dog day knockoff. And so it's funny and I completely kind of forgot about it. 
and then watching the movie I'm, and I was like, oh, I remember taking that. I remember taking the spray painting, the cameras, like I did that. And yeah. I'm like not being able to reach it. Like I took that yeah. and put that in the movie. Yeah. I guess that's and what I mean by it's just it's incredible. Fun. It's fun at the beginning. And then it slowly like yeah. gets more and more tense. Gets and then it kind of gets worse. really sad. Um, but like when it's it comes really to the, fucking sad. Yeah. When it comes to like the queer aspect of the film, I just like, I don't know. I think it like handles, it handles it really well. And even the language that's being used is never by like most of the people who are like, who are actually, you know, queer themselves, you know, like the, the worst thing that like Sal says is like, Oh, why is, why are they saying I'm a homosexual? I'm not a homosexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, you know, the people like the, the cops and shit, like who are sitting there, like listening to uh, the story uh, of Leon's story and everything. You know, and there's like that one that's just laughing and stuff. And well, it's just like, f- for me, regardless of that being, awful. <laughs> yeah, it's portrayed as awful. And for me, it's like, when I see that, I'm just like, well, that's not far from what it's like today. Like yeah, everything's yeah. gone so backwards that this film feels like revolutionary, like even for today's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like how like ridiculous things are. I mean, like literally was reading something about like people being up in arms about the, uh, uh, I don't know, the Air Force or some shit in America, like posting some like image where there was like a soldier saluting like the LGBTQ plus like pride flag or whatever. And it was just like people were up in arms about that. And it's like, (laughs) fucking, who cares? Who cares? You're a fucking idiot. Who cares? Like, you know, ah, like people are so fucking stupid right now about like ridiculous, like particularly transgender people. And it's just like, why are you so up in arms about transgender people? This is a story from 1972 that this happened. And like, you know, it's insane that this is still a thing. Like, like God, like 40, over 50, 50 years, years later. later, it's like, how are yeah. we still like having this conversation this behind? I don't yeah. understand, man. It's nuts. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like a really like, I don't know, like, tastefully done in certain degree of it being like showing both sides and like it, it i don't know I, I i thought it was really interesting just like when pacino's character goes outside and stuff at times and like how he's just viewed as this like rock star yeah like from the hero. young people around he's like this hero every yeah, time he pats like, somebody down he gets to cheer <laughs> yeah and they're like yeah and yeah. like yeah, obviously he riled them all up by screaming attica and attica. Stuff, which was just like hilarious and you know, of the time as well, because it was just mm. around that time the Attica uh, prison that riot. Right. But then you have like a different side when the news gets out that he's queer, and like there's a certain degree of like a change in the atmosphere from the people watching around. There's still some people who are very much in support, but then there's still some pe- there's some people who start to boo, and then the yeah. queer community comes in. And like, starts, yeah, uh, all the way. I love yeah, that. And that's just like, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, it's just a really interesting, like, look at that time in the seventies and like how, and just kind of like to gaze at it through a modern lens, like how not much has actually changed. Dude, People that's what's amazing divided. about, about the film. Like it's just, it's a great, like bank heist movie, right? This like insane thriller, but like it somehow managed to, manages to encapsulate all the moments, the political moments and conversation of the 70s, like for some reason that story just really it captured the zeitgeist of that time. Yeah. Just wicked with all the layers to it and the story behind it. And it's so complex and it's not so clean cut, like him dealing with his wife as well. Like, well, yeah. 
former wife, you know, there's all these layers to it and it's never sort of black and white about it. And it's showing this sort of changing perspective in America. And in in in, in, I think that's what really elevates the film, like, or makes it like relevant to talk about. Like it should just be a bank heist movie without yeah. Pacino. And that itself would be enough, but it's got all these things that talking about underneath. And it doesn't, you know, try to get anywhere with them. It just sort of shows it as much as it can. I'm, you know, for a, a still a Hollywood movie in the seventies. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just so interesting that that story and that film manages to get all that in, in a day. In, yeah, in, a, in, a, in one fucking shitty, you know, <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> well, the screenplay for Dog Day Afternoon was written by Frank Pearson, and it's based on this Life magazine article called The Boys in the Bank, which is by <laughs> P.F. Kluge and Thomas Moore. The feature chronicled the very real 1972 robbery and hostage situation led by John Wojtovich and Salvatore Naturali at the Chase Manhattan branch in Brooklyn on the 22nd of August, 1972, which is my birthday, 22nd of August. Happy birthday. John Wojtovich and Salvatore Naturali and Robert Westenberg attempted to rob the Chase Manhattan Bank branch in Brooklyn, aiming to take away $150,000 to $200,000 that they expected to be delivered on the armored truck around 3.30 that day. According to Wojtovich, a Chase Manhattan executive that he met at a gay bar in Greenwich Village tipped him off, and they headed to the bank around 3 and found out that the armored truck had already been around 11 a.m., and <laughs> they t- basically had taken away all the money instead of delivering money, and they only made out with $29,000 that was available before trying to escape. Westenberg saw a cop, I think, and managed to get away. But Wojtovich and Naturali were left behind as the police arrived, and it turned their robbery into a hostage situation. So two hours into the negotiations, Wojtovich and Naturali extended a list of demands to the police, which were to release Elizabeth Eden, who was uh, Ernest Aaron from the Kings County Hospital Center in exchange for a hostage. Bring hamburgers and Coca-Cola. And hey. pro- there you go. And provide transportation to JFK International Airport for them and the hostages. In the words of Wojtovich, I want them to deliver my wife here from Kings County Hospital. His name is Ernest Aaron. It's a guy. I'm gay. They also requested a plane to fly to a safe location where the unarmed hostages were to be released. After more than 14 hours of holding the hostages, Naturali was killed and Wojtovich was arrested at Kennedy Airport. And Wojtovich told Judge Anthony J. Travia that the motive for the robbery was to pay for a sexual reassignment surgery for Eden. Arthur Bell, an investigative journalist, expressed his belief that the surgery was a peripheral motive for the robbery. Bell met with Wojtovich before the holdup through a gay activist alliance under the alias Little John Basso. And his article published by the Village Voice, he laid out the Wojtovich's connection to pornographer Mike Umbers and proposed, proposed that the heist was organized by the Gambino crime family instead. <laughs> so, was it a mafia, you know, robbery Pay gone up, wrong? Yeah. Or... 
Was he actually trying to pay for the sexual reassignment surgery, or was it both? Was it, it could have been both. Well, I thought the thing I have read is like obviously he got caught, mm. but they made his the story into a movie, and so they paid for sort of the rights to his story, and he used that money to pay for the surgery. Yes. So, but the uh, the story gets kind of funny. So I've got like sort of <laughs> how you know, this happened, how the movie got made, but then also like what kind of happened as a result of the movie being made and all that in my uh, research here. Yeah, he didn't go clean, you know. No, 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 not at all. All right, so when Life published this article, it was soon after the events happened and Wojtovich like spent about, I think like he was supposed to go to prison for like 20 years, but only spent like five years. In prison, but then like kept going back throughout the 80s because of uh, parole violations. So Life published this article in September 1972. Uh, So like this was only a month later. The authors compared Wojtovich's appearance to that of Dustin Hoffman or Al Pacino. Although if you look up a photo, he also kind of looks like Robert De Niro. So De Niro could have easily played this role as well. Mm. Um, The feature caught the attention of producer Martin Eflund and Eflund took it to Martin Bregman who piqued the interest of Warner Brothers executive Richard Shepard. Eflin hired the article writers P.F. Kluge and Thomas Moore to interview people involved in the story. Before the script was written, Eflin wanted to ensure that he had signed releases by all the interviewees for the story rights. So after the negotiation, each hostage received about $600, which uh, was pretty good compared to today's money. Like, you know, and uh, one hostage asked for more money and it was not included in the script. Wojtovich received $7,500 for the rights to his story and apparently a bit of extra money if the film did well. That becomes a bit of something later. Uh, So apparently Wojtovich actually used some of that money, like you said, to pay for Elizabeth Eden's gender reassignment surgery. And Warner Brothers would pay for the funeral of Sal Naturale. And then they were off to the races with the film, which was initially titled The Boys in the Bank from the name of the article. And it was director Sidney Lumet who came on to direct the film. I did to change it to dog day afternoon, thinking the original title was a little too fluffy and the dog day afternoon suggested a hot stuffy day at the end of summer. So Frank Pearson who wrote Colhan Luke was hired to write the script and he used this, uh, used the article, but he also did his own research by contacting a journalist named Randy Wicker who had covered the story for gay publications and We'll go on to provide technical assistance regarding the gay nightclub scene in Manhattan for the film. And John Wojtovich refused to see Pearson while he was in prison due to <laughs> pay disputes with Warner Brothers. So Pearson <laughs> had to do his best with the new articles and interviews to compile the best information about the, you know, his lead subject uh, yeah. that he could. And then from interviews, he got a sense that Wojtovich left a different impression on each of the interviewees which made things a bit difficult, but it also can kind of explain Al Pacino as Sonny, who is a, you know, basically a stand in for the character of John Wojtovich. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting, like how you see him with each person in this film. Like he does kind of feel like he's a bit of a, I don't know, like everyone has a different impression of him, And like 
the kind of sense you get from him as a person when you see him yourself, you kind of don't really understand why like certain people, because he seems kind of cool and calm for the most part. Sometimes. A bit, yeah. a bit crazy at times, like, you know, just quick to pull a trigger, like, you know, when it came to like uh, thinking someone was breaking into the back. Oh, yeah, right away. But nuts. He's a bit shouty at times, but he doesn't seem like... You know, like you get these impressions from his his uh, real wife, and then his uh, his. I guess I mean, you know, it's a it's his wife, but it's an illegal marriage because at the time, gay marriage wasn't legal. Also, mm-hmm. you can't get married twice because by this this uh, story in the film's logic, he was still married to his first wife. I'll get to that but in the, real life. That I'll get to that. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so yeah, it's like this sort of interesting thing where you get both of his wives who like have this sort of different impression of him of being this sort of like scary, loud. Yeah, they're part. both like he's psychotic and trying psychotic. to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you get this sort of like, oh, Sonny wouldn't do this from his, his uh, first wife. Sonny wouldn't do this because, you know, it's not him. It's not Sonny. I don't, it, it's yeah, really yeah. weird. It's a, like a mixed message. Like with some hostages give him shit and obviously on the street with the cops, he's higher you know it's more volatile and more combative but and yeah. with some hostage nicer and like with Sal in the movie he's quite caring because Sal is obviously a bit of a simple more simple minded if, if, the, yeah. if that's the better way of putting it. You know, you know, where where would you what what country you want to go to? Wyoming. <laughs> it's a great line because it just said everything you need to know about that character. But and he's like, don't don't worry about it. I'll I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. That's why I don't, I never like the in, and that that it might be the filmmaker's intention. But there's that insinuation that Sunny is culpable in what happened to Sal. But I always read it as like again him sort of looking out for him. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah. it's just it seems to be very different character to character. He's a very like all over the place sort of character and it kind of but worked in a weird way yeah the um sort of like real life story that i was sort of detailing there uh just before was like very much it's very much kind of like what the story that was laid out in the film it's relatively true to the to real life story there's some yeah. bits and pieces which i'll get to in a bit but um i think a lot of it's like a lot of like maybe uh a bit of the real life you know, John Voitovich character, this real life Sonny, um, his opinions of things kind of get a bit silly. And I think it's a lot to do with like money, really. Like, you know, it's yeah, literally yeah. just money, like, you know, cause he is a con man, you know? And, um, but anyway, like, uh, when they finished the script, producer Martin Bregman, he had met with, uh, director Sidney Lumet and Al Pacino in London. And although, Al Pacino originally agreed to do the story. He told Cindy Lamette near the start of production that he couldn't play the story. Uh, he couldn't do it. He couldn't play the character because he was, com- he basically just completed like production on the Godfather part two. And if you remember <laughs> when we were doing that, we were talking about how he was just like completely like exhausted. Cause he got the horse's yeah. head again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's what much. you get. That's what you get. Yeah. yeah but uh, yeah, he was f- physically exhausted and he was depressed after the shoot. And you know, with this whole like reliance on method, he was sort of like, you know, he didn't relish the thought of working himself up to a state of near hysteria every day. <laughs> uh, so Lamette unhappily accepted the actor's decision and dispatched the script to Dustin Hoffman. But Pacino, I think, got 
word that, you know, one of his rivals at the time was being considered. And, mm. you know, he decided to come back on. <laughs> but apparently, no, never he, mind. Like, never mind, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think he, like, apparently did this a couple of times. Like, you know, at first Get he was like, no. Up. And then he agreed to do it. And then he, like, said, I can't do it. And they were about to go to Hoffman. And then he was like, okay, I'll come back. So, yeah, it was just one of these, like, sort of funny things. And uh, during production, he reportedly only slept a couple of nights. Uh, sorry, a couple hours at night and he ate sparingly and he would sometimes take cold showers. And this was in order to emphasize Sonny's disheveled, exhausted. Yet wired <laughs> it looks like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's like you would think like with that lack of sleep that he would look like older, but like he weirdly looks so young in this film. Like I was saying. He does. He looked younger than but he, he does looks in the wired. Godfather movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. does. Yeah. He looks more like. You know, like Panic and Needle Park, Al Pacino. Like, yeah. you, you know, like really. I guess could he strung out in that movie as well? Maybe I just associate yeah. the two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, one of the things that he did as a means of getting into character was grow a mustache, and it was not because like the real Robert. <laughs> the had guy one. didn't have a mustache, did he? I don't know. I'm not really sure, but I think it was because like he said that like there was a lot of gay men who wore mustaches in the 70s, so he decided okay. to grow one. But. In Lamette's words, Pacino's mustache looked terrible. <laughs> and oh, after, really? And after the first day of filming, uh, and also I, I also read that he like at one point was wearing like sunglasses or something like that, and they just it was like sunglasses. And, He's just doing a Serpico look. Yeah, yeah. He's it doing was, like, the sunglasses and this mustache, and apparently it was just like it just wasn't working. And uh, they were watching the footage, and even Pacino agreed that like you know it looked terrible. So they actually had to like you know, shave the mustache and then reshoot a whole days of footage. Like he lost a whole day's worth of footage. Fuck me. I read that in a couple of different ways. Cause it was like, fuck your mustache. It, it was something else as well that I read, which I don't know if it's true. I think it was the mustache and the glasses maybe, but like there was something else that he had done that apparently like, or he wasn't happy with his acting or something mm. like that. And he, they like lost a whole days of footage. Cause he like got Lamette to agree to like, you know, reshoot everything. But I think it was the mustache. Um, and uh, basically, like, a lot of the other cast and stuff in the film was, like, just people that, like, Pacino had performed with on off-Broadway plays. And Pacino had asked uh, Sidney Lumet to cast John Cazale as Sal Naturale, who was, like, basically the only person whose name wasn't changed from the original story, like, mm. the real-life story. He's the only one that they actually kept. But the thing was, the real Sal was actually an 18-year-old delinquent who had been oh. basically in trouble with the law his whole entire life. And screenwriter Frank Pearson envisioned that Sal would be this handsome kid that Sonny had picked up in Greenwich Village. And, you know, maybe he was queer. Maybe he was just like, mm. you know, a troubled kid that kind of got under his wing or whatever. And he described him as about medium height and good looking with an intense boyish charm or boyish way or something like that. And uh, Sidney Lumet was pretty skeptical when Al Pacino recommended John Cazale for the role because John Cazale at the time was 39 old years old yeah. <laughs> and he's not what you would call like, you know, traditionally beautiful. Boyishly um, handsome. But uh, Sidney Lumet said that, you know, Cazale came in to read for the part and he was just like sold on him in a matter of minutes. And yeah, it's just interesting. Like Cazale like has this like really stern, weird, like you just never know what he's going to do sort of. Like mm. the whole time, because I, like I said, I hadn't seen the film before, and although I knew the story, but I didn't really know like you know the bits and pieces of it. 
And it just like feels like any minute this motherfucker is just going to like start capping some people. It's like, you just <laughs> don't know. He looks yeah. crazy. Like also like in that sort of way where the hair, the hair is weird. Right. Yeah. Like, he's like got the high. It's like, he's like balding, <laughs> but it's long and he's just like, and everybody's sweating buckets. Mm. Right. And he's just there, yeah. you know, making really uncomfortable comments to yeah. people and like just holding a gun and like keeping an eye on everybody. That, that great yeah. bit toward the end where he'd like, he tried to take the gun off him and he's just like, no, no, I need it. And he's like, no, that's my gun. <laughs> he's like, you already have your gun? <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you never know. And he doesn't, you, but that's the thing with him. But like, it, that's it pays off no wonderfully though at the exactly. end. Exactly. Because yeah, like, yeah. you have that whole thing where it's just like, you start to realize it could it's go. not, it could go. It's Put not, it up. it's not that necessarily that he's crazy, but maybe it's a sense of nervousness or something. He's anxious, man. He doesn't anxious, want to go to yeah. jail. He doesn't want to yeah. fly. He doesn't want to be called a homosexual on TV. Yeah. <laughs> the dude he's having the worst day of his life. Yeah. And yeah, then his, it becomes his downfall when the cop basically just keeps telling him, like, you know, keep that gun up, keep that gun up. And then it's literally just so that he could, like, catch him off guard and yeah. pop a gap in his ass. I mean, it's poor. Like, I keep saying it's just poor. That character, I'm just like, oh, poor. Now, like, it. Even with the casting of John Canale, they got that from me. When I yeah. see Sal, I see him as a childlike character, very small, very innocent. Even though he's not, he's obviously like a hardened criminal in mm. it. Um, yeah, maybe not from you know that smart, but like it obviously experienced the kind of shit. You know, it's like I'm not going back to jail. That kind of guy. But like, I just read him as this very scared boy. Because yeah. he doesn't say much and he doesn't have much of a hand in any of what goes down in the plan. And he only has a few moments when he gets to really go intense. Like when I think our like Al Pacino talking to him about something, about how they can get out of there. And he's like, remember, you know, he's like, remember what you promised me? We either get out or we fucking kill ourselves. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And he's like, then what the fuck are we talking about here? <laughs> like, that's the deal, right? Nothing changed. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Fuck <laughs> me, man. Like this dude is committed, like loyal. He's committed yeah. to what they're going to do. And just, yeah, it's just strange. He ended up, we end, I think you kind of ended up getting both versions of that character through John Condale's performance. Just because he's fucking insanely good, that dude. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good. And like to like hark back on like what you were saying, and I kind of like completely lost the plot of Train of Thought. I remember now. Uh, we are talking about like, you know, the, you, you had mentioned how like, you know, there's the whole idea and people think that like, and even in the film, they read it sort of as a, uh, uh, Sal getting sold out basically by Sonny or John, uh, Vojtovich. like the real life character of John Vojtovich, the real life man, like was always upset about the way, not necessarily the film portrayed, um, him basically selling out well it was a little bit the film um because it, like some people were reading it that way that he sold out sonny and, it can be read that way and uh the, apparently when he was in prison it got him into a little bit of trouble because people oh, saw bet. it in prison and then he got shank, in a little shank, bit of shank. trouble yeah <laughs> uh but i think he also in real life at times was being seen as like someone who like sold out sonny somehow and he like He's like, you know, I, that was like the worst thing about all this, like, because mm. he was 18 years old and like, I never wanted that to happen, obviously. Of and course. Like, he was just like, I was right there the whole time. There was nothing I could do. Like, you know, and I'm, 
like there was nothing he could do. There's nothing I could do. We were like basically set up by the cops, you know, it was just like, yeah, yeah. it's horrible. Total setup. And it's like even worse too, when we're thinking about like the real life, you know, situation here with these two characters, but then also like the, the real life situation of the actor. So there's John Cazale, like, you know, oh, dies, that line, and man. there's that horrible line. Cause he's horrible. braiding the bank tellers for smoking. And he says he doesn't yeah. smoke because he, I don't, I don't want to get the cancer. And then, Within three years, he would die from lung cancer, and it's like I know, famously that's a harsh line. Like famously, only you know what five or six film roles. Most yeah, of which, the most of which were Best Picture, Doctor, Deer Hunter, maybe one more that I'm forgetting. It's four or five, yeah. The conversation, the conversation, five. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Chris Sarandon plays uh, Leon Shermer, which is a stand-in for Elizabeth Eden. And mm. this is Chris Sarandon's film debut as well, which is really amazing. Yeah. He's going up against Al Pacino. Yeah. Insane. I think some, like basically Lance Henriksen had gone out for the role who ends up playing one of the FBI agents, the one who I forgot he was in it. Yeah. Like I forgot they, he did. I was like, that just really Bishop is like, in this shit. movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Bishop shoots Fredo. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what a crossover, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> But it was it was great to see Chris Sarandon because like at first I didn't really recognize him. I was like, holy mm. shit. And I love Chris Sarandon. I mean, like, this is a sad reason to love Chris Sarandon because like most people would be like, Oh, I really love, you know, the Prince's Bride and blah, blah, blah. But like yeah, for yeah. me, it's like Child's Play, dude. Child's Play. Of course. Yeah. Come yeah. On. You love Child's Play. Child's Play. Uh yeah. but also, you know, he's great in Fright Night as well. And uh also, which is a Tom Holland film, who directed Child's Play. So <laughs> there I'm you go. Hard. And also, Cindy Lamette directed a film that I've not seen, but it's also called, called Child's Play. Child's Play. <laughs> See? See? It's all coming it's together. It's all coming together. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this film became uh, one of the first films that Sidney Lamette allowed his actors to improvise. And in Dog Day Afternoon DVD commentary, he said, I don't like actors to improvise, to use their own language. They are not going to come up with something better than a really talented writer who has done months of work or on something. But as Lamette and the rest of the cast had rehearsed Dog Day Afternoon, especially the parts where the robbers and the bank employees are just sitting around killing time, someone asked about the possibility of improv. Lamette realized it could be useful in help, uh, for helping the actors bond, as well as for making the characters' interactions feel a little bit more natural. And screenwriter Frank Pearson was present and he, when Met let the actors improvise the rehearsals, he recorded it and he ended up adding some of their conversations into the script. Uh, but the actors would also, also improvise while they're on the, on the set and the cameras are rolling too. So right after Sonny fires a gun because he thinks the cops are sneaking in the back of the bank, Sonny comes out and he gets yelled at by Sergeant Moretti, who's played by Charles Durning. And... For this scene, Lamette told Durning to just improvise and to immediately get Sonny on the defensive. So like that whole thing, they had like three cameras set up, just rolling, capturing whatever happened. And they're just watching the scene. And, and you could just feel that like spontaneous energy and confusion oh, because like insane, man. just comes out and he's getting berated. And it's just like Pacino is just so fucking good. <laughs> he's so good. They're he's both so amazing. Charles Durning yeah. is fucking incredible. And it's like, it's no... I, I, I'm always like upset when he like sort of the FBI guy takes over. Yeah, yeah, it's just because yeah. I Cause so love him and Pacino. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but him and Pacino have such amazing chemistry, and it's so yeah, yeah so fucking tense every time they're thrown together. And uh, speaking of some more improvisation, so Pacino said that like 
he was on Larry King on CNN and he said that the iconic, you know, Attica, Attica, Mm -hmm. that whole scene was improvised on and thought up on set. Uh, The idea actually came from Lamette's assistant director, Bert Harris, who recognized the potential parallel between, you know, what was happening in the scene and the real life Attica prison uprising that recently dominated the news cycle. So they just thought like, hey, let's add it in. And, you know, you have all these fucking extras around and just kind of get them all riled up and stuff. And yeah, it just, it's fucking great. It's hilarious. It is just really funny. Him just like screaming. Like that whole sequence outside is brilliant. Like when he first starts like, you know, shouting and stuff, you know, just like what other stuff is he saying? You know, like it's just really silly shit. Just like, put the gun down. Yeah, put the gun down. Put the gun down. Yeah. Put down your holster. Like, you know, is this what you want? Is this what yeah. you want? <laughs> I love the... um. No, no, it's a weird thing to bring up now, but the thing I kept thinking in the movie, there's such a, and it helps better once you've seen the movie and you kind of know where it goes, there's such a shadow of death over the whole movie. Yeah. Like in terms of, like just there's so many references from Al Pacino talking about like, I'm dying here, I'm dying. I, you know, mm. I'm gonna, they get, they're going to blow our brains out blow our brain down on the street. That's what you want, right? That's what you want to see while our minds will get something out of it. Like mm-hmm. it's so, you're seeing these people in like cr- crisis, right? Like in the most, like the craziest thing that can happen to you, like high energy adrenaline just running and just the, that, that can, you know, that fear of like, I'm about to die and stretched over 14 hours and like that <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. it just does that really <laughs> well and i just i like that a lot especially because that sort of i think informed a lot of an arc that sort of a fear of it there's a bargaining with it and then there's a kind of acceptance of it by the end you know doing it well and he's just like i'm gonna die and it's just like but if i do die then you know i've left something something you know he does the whole life insurance thing. Yeah. But then even at the end, he just, you, I think he, that again, there's more like, there's almost doubt, like a, a denial where he's like, we did it. We did it. Like we made it, we made it. <laughs> and it's just like, nah, man, you've been, you've known the whole day. Like as soon as you stepped in, it was over. Yeah. Like yeah, you yeah, come yeah, in, yeah. you come in fumbling with your gun and having, yeah, you know, the fucking athletic guard and the guy yeah. running out and it's just like in the fire and it just, and the money, like it w- went all to shit so quickly the yeah, only the thing fire, that you think the was fire the fucking really pregnant woman in the film yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely the fire yeah, definitely I just, fucked I, it up though if he yeah, hadn't set smoke. that shit on fire that smoke going out like it really just fucked shit up yeah but also just you know having bad intel you know you need you need you need your intel to be right yeah man <laughs> he fucked up right when he got the yeah. bad intel <laughs> Yes. Uh, another minor but memorable instance of the improv is something you've already mentioned, a line that you already mentioned, but it was uh, basically when Sonny asked Sal, you know, what country he'd like to go to in the script. Sal wasn't actually supposed to respond. He was supposed to kind of just, I don't know, say nothing. And mm-hmm. Kazali, for whatever reason, responded Wyoming, <laughs> that, that's <laughs> which not, that's not somehow, <laughs> somehow like Al Pacino stayed in character. And Sid- Sidney Lumet yeah. said that he basically had to stifle a laugh. And he called it one of the funniest yet saddest lines in the movie. It's so sad, dude. That's what I'm saying. It's like it couldn't it, it mirrored that other moment where he's like, you know, you want to call someone, you want to, you know, you should you should call, you know, we got a line, we can, you you should say goodbye, you know. And he just mm. got he doesn't even say anything, and he's like, yeah. you know, he yeah. got but he got no. I think he said no, and he's like, he got this dude's got no one that he should t- to call before 
potentially going to Putin or going to Algeria or dying, yeah. you know, like nothing, yeah, yeah. got nothing. And yeah, that scene sort of reinformed that in a funny and bad way. It's no good. Um, well, bringing up some of the other people, I'll get into some, some of the other cast members, uh, with some of the other bits that I have, but like, you mm-hmm. know, we already mentioned Lance Henriksen plays one of the FBI agents, but the other one, the head FBI agent Sheldon that's played by James Broderick, which is uh Matthew Broderick's dad. So, uh, oh, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, murderer extraordinaire, Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Murder extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> we got some of these other people. There's uh, Phil, uh, P. Allen plays mouth or Sylvia mouth. And we've got Sully Boyer, who plays Mulvaney, so the diabetic mm. bank manager. Uh, and then, like, shout out Carol Kane, man, playing the, yes. the squirrel. Uh, Jenny the nice. squirrel. What, what is the squirrel? I, come on, know. come on. Okay. <laughs> She's so I know. Good. I completely forgot she would do yeah. this. No, great. This is kind of like pre her really, like, settling in. Like, her voice is being kind of like Talking like this. He said the F word. Oh, he said the F word. <laughs> like, she just got the greatest voice. And, yeah. yeah I mean, funny. speaking sorry, Speaking of voices, do you, like, which, could there's a line in the stand where it does change? Mm. Which Al Pacino do you prefer? Do you prefer young, you know, talking, oh, yeah. talking quick, talking quick like this, talking really fast, really intense? Or yeah. do you prefer, you know, post, I guess, kind of a woman? I mean, we're going to get to it later. The yeah. We're going to get to it later. Are we going to get to it? I Never think mind. The, maybe the film that really like just, just blows him to pieces as well. I think. I could be wrong, but I feel like that oh, film. I thought we were going to do this movie. Oh no, you're the other movie. Yes, never yeah. mind. Yes, I think what you mean. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I don't know. There's reason to like look it's at that era. Yeah, there's reason to look at something maybe like a Carlito's Way, which isn't the film that we're doing. Uh, that sort, <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. sort of like was the breaking point, but he really no, he goes, was already there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When was it? Was it Sin of a Woman? I don't know. I I always thought he, like, that he went on, he went an Oscar for that. Yeah. So like he just like oh no this this is what people like yeah. <laughs> and he just kind of like fried his voice because Scarface yeah. had a bit of that as well yeah because you know, it doesn't sound like himself at all in Scarface he's doing some really weird dodgy act Cuban accent you know yeah. it works yeah, in the yeah, movie yeah. but it's weird yeah. Um, but yeah that that it's the two errors of Al Pacino yeah I don't know I mean he's do you have a preference I I think like as far as where you can see <laughs> Al Pacino being like one of the greatest actors of all time. I prefer the older roles, like the, I mean, as in uh, the, the, uh, the younger role, the, his younger years, <laughs> yeah. but the older films. Yeah. yeah. Um, because he's, yeah. I don't know something about that soft spoken sometimes really fast. I mean, like he's tremendous and he doesn't, I feel like uh, doesn't get enough fucking- love in the Godfather films. Like he does, no, but he, he doesn't. doesn't. You know what I mean? No, like he doesn't. He, yeah. he gets enough, but he doesn't. You know he what I mean? He doesn't, like, dude. He, he carries that movie, yeah. and he's so good in those films. Like people talk about Brando a lot, and you know, obviously, like De Niro in the second one, and you know, James Caan or Robert Duvall, or I mean, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's talking about Robert Duvall, but but yeah, <laughs> like like Pacino is so fantastic, and like the, I mean, the scene at the restaurant, like. uh, in the Godfather. He's about to shoot the guy. He's yeah. about to shoot the guy. Like he's so good. Like he's just really good. And uh, I don't know. There's something about when he turns on that, like, ah, sort of like when he gets that gravel in his voice, Ooh-ah. it's funny and sometimes good, but it's more so funny. Mm. 
but we we do for like you know giving away the lead a little bit that we do have another Pacino role uh, a little bit later in the first part of this arc in the crime yeah. season, which I think is actually it was supposed to be the film that was actually supposed to be what we start with the first yeah. film, but we're, we're going to end, end it with, with that film, uh, which I think is a great way to end it. Yeah, and I've uh, never seen that. Oh, you've never seen that? Oh, great. See, that's amazing, too, because we're doing I finally one, get to watch it. We're doing one where me, I haven't seen this one, and you you love it, and then flip it. I love that other one, and you. It also it's just like seeing Pacino on the different side of the law as well. Hint, hint. Uh, oh, <laughs> hey. freaking the law. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, last, like, let's just, like, shout out the rest of the people. We have uh, Beulah Garrick as Margaret, Sandra Kazan as Deborah, Estelle Omens as Edna, Marsha Jean Kurtz as Miriam. She was really funny. Uh, and Amy uh, Levitt is Maria. So like I said, a lot of these people are just people that Pacino performed with on off-Broadway mm-hmm. plays, and they sort of got little small careers on, off the back of this. Um, I mean, I just wanted to give a big shout out to Carol Kane and, you know, Kiss is great <laughs> and has probably the most successful career out of most of those like bit characters and stuff yeah. in this film. Um, but yeah, like getting back to sort of like how this film was made and stuff and like, uh, you know, there's a lot of creativity that Sidney Lumet had to do to make the film feel a lot more real. I think that was sort of his thing was like he wanted this to feel as realistic as possible. So he was shooting in sequence as much as possible with all the street scenes filmed first in order and then all the bank scenes filmed in order. And near the end of the film, after being stuck in the bank for many hours, Sonny makes two emotional, emotionally draining phone calls with his two wives. <sighs> oh, yeah, God. Uh, this scene was filmed near the end of the shoot. So Pacino had been cooped up in the building for a long, long time. And like his character, wanted to get out. To take full advantage of the actor's weariness, uh, Sidney Lumet had basically filmed the phone calls together with no cut in between so that Pacino would be worn out from the first call when he made the second one. And the whole sequence lasts about 16 minutes. But due to only getting about 10 minutes out of a 35-millimeter 30, roll of film, he had two cameras set up basically like right next to each other so it looked like almost seamless. And when the first one stopped rolling, he was just like rolling on the second one. And basically, when the, the calls were over, <laughs> Sidney Lumet told Al Pacino to do another take. That is, to <laughs> do both calls again, immediately, without pausing to rest oh, first. The two, and, like, 15-minute takes in a row. Yeah, and it was that second take that they actually used in the film because Pacino was just completely drained. You feel it, dude. Especially the like the first one is a long drawn out and it's an emotional call. And the second one, he's just like, "Why are we fucking listening to me?" He's like insane. He's <laughs> yeah. just like crazy, and it's like that makes a lot of sense because yep. it's into like forty five minutes in now, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Fucking let me go, please let me go. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with this movie." So Susan Peretz plays Angie, so his actual wife, who is a stand-in for Carmen Wojtovich. Uh, and this is where we get into something, not an unoriginal script lawsuit, but do, 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 do. a lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> John Vojtovich's wife, whom he was actually separated from at the time, Carmen uh, Bifolko or Carmen Vojtovich, she wasn't very happy with Dog Day Afternoon. I and, yeah, she, she's not presented in the best light. Yeah. Yeah, and it was besides her like negative depiction of the film, she objected to the film being made at all, 
One year after the film was released, uh, she filed a joint lawsuit against Warner Brothers, as well as Dell Publishing Company and Del Corte Press, who are supposed to be doing the novelization of the film. And the 12 total charges included invasion of privacy, unauthorized use of her and her children's likeness, and defamation. But most of these charges were quickly dismissed, and the Authors League of America stepped in to basically help get her other charges dismissed, fearing that it would set a worrying precedent for other works based on true stories in the future. Mm. But she wasn't alone in uh, suing Warner Brothers in relation to the film. Oh, no. Over the two decades after the release of Dog Day Afternoon in 1975, the real Sonny, who was John Voitovich, shot his own version of the events of the robbery. He'd been very very vocal about how far the film veered from reality in the past, famously calling it only about 30% accurate. sounds like Tommy Wiseau, like talking about disaster artists. (laughs) Uh So he he wrote an op-ed about it, which he defended his wife, uh, his ex-wife. And basically, because her depiction is pretty horrible in this film. She's like, I was so scared. She doesn't seem like a real person. No, she's not. She's like thing- more like his mother. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, which again was something that he was upset about because he was like, I didn't actually speak to my mother. Like she wasn't there. And you know, yeah, it was just well, it's a movie, stuff. dude. But, uh, <laughs> That's just but a yeah, good thing to happen. I, I think one of the, I think the interesting thing about this, and I'm trying to say this without coming off like sounding horrible, but they had a very normal looking woman playing Al Pacino's wife in this film. Um, yeah, and they seem to take offense to that. Yeah, and I think there's a lot that this film kind of like does that's kind of surprising. Like, you know, the fact that it's doing a queer story at all and then not like totally painting it is like this bad, like, you know, with like a negative brush. It's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a very sympathetic story. And then you also get like this like very normal looking like wife. However, they did have her, you know, be this fucking just kind of horrible, not very realistic person in general of being like, I don't know. What the fuck were they doing? <laughs> but anyway, he also, uh, so he had this op-ed and it was uh, published in Variety in 1976. And then uh, Voitovich praised, he praised Lamette's direction and he also praised Al Pacino and uh, Chris Sar- uh, Sarandon's performances. But he, je- he did object to the depiction of his wife and he'd been separated for her for like two years as well. So that was another thing. And he was just like, I refused to speak to her during the robbery, unlike what was depicted in the, in the Mm -hmm. film. And Voitovich also sued Warner brothers for not how they depicted his wife though, but for his claim being that like he, it was like a breach of contract with Warner brothers. So this is where I said earlier, there would be something more to this. So it's weird. I don't know. He claims that he had agreed it was agreed with him that one percent of the profits earned from the film would go to him but there's other people that are like actually we only said that we'll give you a little bit of money if the film does as well as you know serpico because that was like Sidney lamette's other film with al pacino and it did pretty well so if it does as well as that we'll give you a little bit of money you know at the end of the day and it did do well, but I don't know how much money they gave him. But like, yeah, for whatever reason, he kept claiming it was one percent of the profits. <laughs> I don't know. And the lawsuit. Give me went, my one percent. Yeah, it went back and forth like for decades, and it was still in litigation when he passed away in two thousand six. So 
But it wasn't only the op-ed that he wrote to try to like correct his story. So French artist Pierre Ouige got in touch with Wojtovich and gave him a chance to set the record straight. And rather than coming out as a true-to-life version of the earlier film, Wojtovich's presentation instead wound up being an art piece. With Wieg at the helm, he used Wojtovich to create a video artwork he called The Third Memory, which was displayed at the Guggenheim Museum. The medium was a two-channel video projection, which basically took the form of a split-screen video in which footage from Dog Day Afternoon was being shown, and then new material that they shot with Wojtovich, which was a recreation of the bank robbery presented side by side. And the title of the piece refers to the fact that Wojtovich's personal recollections of the events have skewed over time and seem to be directly influenced from the film. So Mm. perhaps it's on like a subconscious level. And the first memory would be Wojtovich's firsthand account of what transpired during the robbery. The second would be the fictionalized account during Dog Day Afternoon. And the third memory would be this basically, you know, it was intended to represent this like conflux of the two accounts of the fictions, which informed his subjective memories of the event. So it was just like, you know, everything's just like melding together. Yeah, blurring together. Yeah, which is really entertaining. And it probably would be that way in real life anyway, especially if you're like, I don't know, like anybody who's like, you know, this this guy who's committed a crime and there's a film being, I mean, fucking... What's his name? Uh, uh, the guy behind Goodfellas, like that that's Henry based Hill. on yeah. Henry Hill. He's he's done the same thing where he's created mm. this sort of like false narrative of like what actually happened, you know, big to character yeah, off him. You know, art imitate life and then yeah. life start to imitate art. It's strange. Yeah. And like, it's interesting too, because that story in itself, we talked about like, but there's like that hilarious film, My Blue Heaven that Steve Martin's in, which sort of like is a bit of a a riff on the actual Henry Hill, like, you know, and all these weird stories that he was telling that was hilarious, just like his sort of life while he was in witness protection, because, you know, you know, it's just absurd. His stories were crazy, like, you know, and all sorts of like crazy bullshit just getting pulled out. And it was similar with this, you know, his this guy's stories like would change depending on like probably who he was talking to. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah like, exactly. You know, and uh, it turned out that John Wojtovich enjoyed his time in the limelight. And then, you know, when the attention came to the film and he was being played by Al Pacino, he was pretty fucking happy. How could you fucking not be yeah. happy, man? That's like a dream come true. That's the best possible outcome, dude. Yeah. You could have died in prison. He basically went as far as to pose in front of the same bank that he robbed with a t-shirt that read, I robbed this bank. <laughs> he's selling the t-shirt yeah and he also made a third attempt to set his story straight when he participated in this documentary called the dog and the documentary covering uh not just the infamous robbery but also was a study of his life as a whole and mm. he was personally involved in the project but the documentary wasn't released until 2013 which was several years after his death and oh, okay. even though he served time in prison and held deep regret over how certain things went, like I've mentioned the death of Sal, he mm. basically said he didn't regret committing the crime in general and had no remorse for his actions. In the documentary, he takes an element of pride of what he did. When asked if he would do it all over again, he enthusiastically proclaimed, you're goddamn right. I would still go out and do it. <laughs> it made him, man. It made his life, right? Yeah. And it, uh, you know what? It's, I think this is going to be a recurring thing in this segment of the arc, this section. Mm. They they play it more 
on the nose in the next film that we're going to do. Yeah. But something about breaking out of your nine to five conformist banal existence in the city and do it, taking charge, taking action, taking control mm. over your own life. And sometimes that means breaking the law in these stories. And they're not free from the consequences. Yeah. That, that, I think that's what, in general, that's why people like these kind of movies, like these kind of characters, because we want to be them secretly. Yeah, you hit it right on the head, like the nail on the head, and how I see these films and how and why I love crime movies. And like I was trying to explain earlier at the top, like it's sort of like, you know, you see yourself like you want to see yourself in these situations in a way because it's something you wouldn't do in real life. You know, sure, it's yeah, the reason yeah. why I love Grand Theft Auto games. They're like super yeah, fun because yeah, yeah, you can break the law and stuff, but I'm never going to go do those things in real life. Cause <laughs> I understand like reality versus fiction. And like, I don't, I don't have a warped sense of like my world and stuff. And you know, it's like, this is a way for you to act out those fantasies and stuff. And like, that's what these films are. And a lot of times they can be based on real life things. And that's, what's crazy about the real world that these things can exist. But then also there can be like, you know, stories that are like, you know, just silly crimes that aren't actually real life, you know? So it's nice to Mm -hmm. kind of like, we have a couple of each, I think for this, this series, um, mm. because the next one's based on someone's experience, but it's not like a true story. And I think it's, uh, probably the same for the one after, but then there's the one to end the series, the big bad boy of the crime, the crime wave, which I'm going <laughs> to call this now, uh, yeah. which is, yeah, it's, uh, based on a lot of real life shit. So, and it's going to be really fun cool. to get into that. So, cool. yeah, but anyway. Filming for Dog Day Afternoon took place between September and November 1974, so it wasn't quite that hot as the uh, title alludes to, because uh, you could actually see some of the actors' breaths in some scenes. Uh, editor Dee Dee Allen played Elton John's composition of I'm Arena in the editing room, which is the only song that really is in the movie. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a fucking banger of a track, and it kind of kicks the film off, and it's basically just playing in the getaway cars radio at the opening of the film and yeah Lumet basically just didn't want any score to take away from the reality of the film so that's why he decided mm. to you know forego like a traditional the, the score o- the only thing that tips you off that it's a movie if you just stepped into it it's fucking the movie's done yeah you know, like if it, if it was all unknown to feel like Al Pacino if it wasn't Al Pacino John Catale Chalter any of these people you'd be like could be like this is a documentary actually yeah they like actually got away with like doing this and they just had a camera crew in there the whole time absolutely i mean i think that's the reason like the way you know sydney lumet's idea was he wanted to go with that like i already said he allowed the improvisation which is something he never really normally would do he had multiple cameras sort of set up so that he can kind of capture anything and it felt like a fly on the wall situation you know it's almost Mm. that sort of the verite style of filmmaking for sure man yeah and uh he would uh forgo his set in a studio as well for an actual new york street he where they basically built this bank set with movable movable walls like inside of a warehouse and it was right on the street right next to the street that they were using so they could transition freely between the two and they had about 300 to 400 extras hired for the film but meanwhile Lamette asked the neighbors who were there to appear in the window if they wanted to like to watch what was going on 
because he basically, you know, wanted it to feel real and like, you know, an actual like what an actual person would do if they saw something or heard something going on, like commotion, and they, they would have to watch. Turned into a circus. Yeah, yeah, and he did offer them like to. I think the studio and stuff offered to put these people up into a hotel if they wanted to, if they don't want to be disturbed by all the shooting on the street but you know most of the people decided to stay anyway and they were just like gladly sort of like peeking out the windows watching what was going on and, you know yelling in the middle of the night and they had this like you know like i said 300 400 extras there but like the crowd just grew while they were filming and all these pedestrians just start joining the actors and stuff and before you knew it lamette just like was just directing the crowd and he whipped them up into a frenzy and then by the second week he said he felt like the crowd could just improvise on its own and apparently all the extras were really good with all these randos that were coming up joining because they were just like getting them involved and stuff and just really mm-hmm. like just like we're making a movie like you got to do this and like you know cheer on and all this sort of stuff so it just really adds to the reality of the situation that like's going on which is really cool Dog Day Afternoon opened on September the 20th, 1975 at the San Sebastian International Film Festival, where Al Pacino was honored with the Best Actor Award. The film premiered in New York City on September the 21st, 1975, and was released nationwide in October. It went on to gross $50 to $56 million on a budget of $3.5 to $3.8 million, and it did really well with the critics. Uh, it was also nominated for six Academy Awards, including nice. Best Picture, of course, because John Casale was in it and yeah. film <laughs> was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Al Pacino, and Best Supporting Actor for Chris Sarandon. But no one won except for Frank Pearson. He for received screenplay. an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, despite it being based on a Life magazine article. Yeah, that would be an adapted screenplay. And it's not even like they did the, they changed people's names and stuff. Yeah. But it's up front in the movie. They're like, this shit fucking happened. Yeah. It happened on this day. It's real. We promise. Maybe they did that um, so that they can like fuck over the, you know, the, the real story. life woman's uh, lawsuit. Yeah. He's like, well, it's not based on a real stories. It's original. Can, it, you know, it's an original screenplay. So it's not like, you know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say adapt. it's weird. Yeah, I thought you were going to say it's weird that you won screenplay Oscar considering most of the film was improvised. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that too, like because Cindy Lamette basically said that it, like sixty percent of the film was improvised, <laughs> which is hilarious. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's it. Like you know, um, that's a dog day. That's a dog day. I mean, it's summertime, dude. We're in the middle of summer. It's a dog day, hot, hot yeah. movie. We're getting hot. The heat is on, man. The fucking I'm heat is the on. Movie doesn't Turning fucking start with summer in the city, man. It's like Die Hard <laughs> Three, hot. <laughs> Would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, without saying any of the films that we're doing, do you have Ooh. any other uh, like crime films you want to shout out? Obviously, we mentioned Goodfellas, like because you know we're in, we're right here in this crime season. You know, any other crime films that you really like? God, man. Yeah. Any fucking. Scorsese movie, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Goodfellas, Casino, Irishman, um, Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. good one as well. Um, crime film. We're going to be covering a lot of my favorites, and yeah. we're going to be yeah, yeah, also yeah. some obscure ones and some new ones. Yeah. Um, 
I was about to say one and I forgot that we're actually going to do it. I mean, we've done a, quite a few anyway, like in terms of like, you know, we've already done a Goodfellas episode. We've done, we've done Godfather the Godfather films. Classic. Uh, one of my favorites is Catch Me If You Can. That's available on Patreon. Oh, dot right, com man. forward slash the pcc podcast if you want to support us head over there you great. get some bonus episodes that episode's there great movie uh i mean i love like like coen brothers have like a lot of fucking crime films but fargo is amazing you know no country for old men's amazing um, oh brother oh brother my favorite. Yeah, and i've got child turning in yeah. it as well um a film that we unbelievably haven't done uh as a its own separate episode even though we just kind of talked about a few of this director's films uh pulp fiction i mean it's a classic for a reason oh yeah yeah for sure we are doing this uh both of our dogs though i might yeah put over that in terms of like crime film because yeah. it's so in and around yeah, the crime yeah, yeah. true i would throw that up there for sure but we are doing a little uh brucey Brucey bonus little side season thing so you know maybe one day we'll get to pulp fiction over here on the podcast you know what i just watched uh, i just rewatched the dark knight on at work oh yeah on 35 now and that that, that movie opening. is essentially that opening dude that movie is essentially like the that that the big one that we're gonna do mm-hmm. but with moth right yeah, like yeah, it yeah. just it, that's how it's always been described to me um yeah and it's insane just to tell, like obviously there's the big height in the movie at the beginning mm. but like in terms of the like the Joker's plan throughout that movie and all the crimes like leading up to it it's like a really good and like it's a cops and robbers man it's like the cops and Batman trying to catch these guys and it, it's actually a really fucking good crime movie on top of a comic book movie I mean people know how good that movie is obviously it's like yeah but that that one that comes to mind. Yep. Well, uh, I mean, I love that first opening. I mean, it's ridiculous, and you are right. It's very similar to that big bad boy that we will be covering. So you can draw your own conclusions. What's coming up? Uh, you know, in the future on this little uh, first wave, the crime wave of the breaking the law season. But you know, next week we're going to be doing a little bit of a lighter film where we're going to flip the script as a, a film about doing crime against those who hold you hostage. <laughs> Your workplace. Your workplace. We're talking about workplace. workplace. We're, we're talking. It's office it's, space. It's a joke. Come on. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's the greatest crime film ever. Office space. Yeah. <laughs> didn't see that one coming did you didn't see that coming yeah no yeah. like uh i i feel like uh i love what we're doing because we have like two kind of very serious ones one that's sort of like a borderline serious slash kind of funny one and then like one that's it's a complete laugh and like yeah, yeah we're doing that throughout the entire uh arc as well the breaking yeah, law each segment out. when we go to the you know courtroom films we got a couple of really funny ones particularly one it's <laughs> just a total laugh and then same thing with the prison films we got one that's more of a laugh than uh i don't know it, or like a bit sillier it's a bit sillier it's a bit sillier yeah. yeah you so won't guess like that it. one yeah you won't guess that one. <laughs> no, definitely won't but I, I like it i like it it breaks it up a little bit because it's not all like grim and like you know, stern and serious shit you know and sometimes mm. you just got to do something that's a little bit relatable because this one feels a little bit more like you probably could get away with something like this <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> If you yeah. know about computers and shit. Yeah, definitely. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man. I Me had too. a blast watching it. So it's going to be fun talking about that next week. Uh, mm. So you should come join us. 
And if and you let like, us know, you like let this, us know your favorite crime yeah. movie. Hmm. Have you ever broken the law? Have you ever Tell broken us. Let us know. Let us know your prison stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we'll get to that the if next time. You might be Let listening us... from prison. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you are, I mean, we'll write I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you shouldn't have done what you did. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what if they didn't, like, actually do anything? Oh, yeah, they could be innocent. That's yeah. probably more likely. Come on. Um, how are you listening to a podcast in prison? Do you have, you don't get a phone. Oh, you got like a butt phone. <laughs> all right all right that's enough <laughs> uh.